Protesters show up at the Premier's home. Yes, us showing up on John Horgan's doorstep this morning, that's a little bit cheeky. Why some say the message is lost by crossing a line. Budget day in BC. Budget 2020 supports British Columbians who are working hard to get ahead by making life more affordable. Fact-checking the figures and highlighting the government's new spending priorities. And the fight over a dog's memorial stone. It's been there for, you know, 10 years plus. Good intentions and memories about to be erased by Metro Vancouver bylaws. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll start with a protest that many people feel crossed a line. Just ahead of the B.C. budget announcement, a small group of activists from the group Extinction Rebellion targeted Premier John Horgan's Langford home. Our Brad McLeod joins us now live from Victoria. And Brad, this demonstration obviously did not go over well with the Premier or the opposition. Yeah, when two political opponents can agree or two or more can agree, you know that's something serious. Now, there are about 12 members of the uh, Extinction Rebellion who chained themselves and blocked Horgan from getting onto his own property on his driveway. Now, this raises the question, did it go too far? Yes, us showing up on do John Horgan's doorstep this morning, that's a little bit cheeky. Premier John Horgan says cheeky doesn't sum up what a small group from Extinction Rebellion Vancouver Island did today at his home in Langford. And if people think that it helps their cause to terrorize my spouse, then they're dead wrong. The goal? make a citizen's arrest. I don't, don't I touch the camera. Instead of arresting the premier, three of the protesters were taken away. It is completely inappropriate to target uh, an individual's private house. The group known for civil disobedience wanted to bring attention to the rights of hereditary Wet'suwet'en chiefs over their traditional lands and the RCMP response to allow the coastal gaslink pipe to continue construction. But the tactic left a bad taste even with John Horgan's rivals. We've got to have an orderly format for protests. You can't block railway lines. You can't block a premier's house. We can have strong disagreements about policy, but it crosses a line when you're going to a person's home like that. And it does a disservice to the issue that these people are trying to raise. Maybe he needed to be invaded in his home to understand what it's like to be invaded in your home. Nothing significant was ever gained by people just going along with the status quo and making little changes here and there. This is huge. The three arrested protesters have been released with conditions not to be in the area of the Premier's residence or his constituency office in Langford. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. So a lot of consensus where there is not usually that much consensus with these political leaders and a lot of people online saying, yeah, that did go a little bit too far. Um, but basically this Extinction Rebellion group, I did ask them, are you associated directly with the Indigenous youth that have been uh, occupying the legislature here behind me last Tuesday? And they said, no, we do not speak for them. This was their own action. All right. Brad McLeod reporting in Victoria. Thank you for that. The growing economic impact of the ongoing protests and railway blockades has become the dominant issue in our country right now. With trains and cargo shipments stalled, the government's response to the crisis touched off a fiery debate in Parliament. Grace Key reports. Protesters once again hit the streets of Vancouver. At two in the afternoon, a little less than 100 people started making their way down East Hastings and towards the port of Vancouver. 
The group standing in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs who are opposed to the coastal gaslink pipeline project. More than 40 cargo ships are waiting to anchor amid rail blockades and protest action across the country. There's fear the standstill could lead to product shortages and higher prices for consumers, with perishable foods and pharmaceuticals causing the greatest concern. Mounting pressure to end the protests led to a fiery debate in Ottawa, with Conservative leader Andrew Scheer saying the country's economy is being held hostage. Standing between our country and prosperity is a small group of radical activists, many of whom have little to no connection to First Nations communities. Finding a solution will not be simple. It will take determination, hard work, and cooperation. There is no relationship more important to Canada than the one with Indigenous peoples. In Vancouver, marchers stopped about a block away from the port entrance with a heavy police presence. They stayed there for about an hour before marching back to East Hastings and then dispersing. Grace Key, Global News. Now to the topic of budget 2020. The province's top income earners and anyone who loves sugary soda will be hit by new taxes in the NDP government's new budget. We'll bring in Richard Zussman now. And Richard, we know you'll be hit hard by that tax on sugary drinks, but some contentious items in today's budget. At least the province's books, though, are still in the black. Chris, in order to stay in the black, like you mentioned, the government had to find new sources of revenue. So they're targeting those that make the most, those that watch Netflix, and those who drink pop. It's a balanced budget. The province announcing a $227 million surplus. We set out with a plan, with people at the heart of our work every single day. A budget is a reflection of that. Our plan is working and we're sticking to it. To help cover the costs, new taxes. The top 1% of income earners in the province, those making more than $220,000 a year, will now pay 20.5% income tax, up from 18.5% for earnings over the threshold. And the PST is coming back on sugary carbonated beverages, a pop tax of 7%. If we can help a little bit and bring in a little bit of revenue to help with health costs, that's a plus. The goal is to have fewer young people drink pop and encourage healthy living. It's a signal to the consumer uh, that these products um, are not f uh, food necessity items. They have little, if any, nutritional benefit and that there are um, healthier alternatives. But the Canadian Taxpayers Federation says it's unfair. What is this going to do for, say, our restaurant industry, right? Because anything that comes out of one of those guns at a bar or at a fountain now has this brand new pop tax on it. The budget continues spending on housing, childcare and education, but there was no sign of the $400 renter's rebate promised last election or enough money to get anywhere close to $10 a day daycare for all British Columbians. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade giving the budget a B minus. There was nothing here for making our biz, our region a more competitive region as well as a lack of economic vision. The budget also showing ICBC slowly moving back towards making money. The public insurers set to lose $91 million this year but make money over the next three years. What's happening now with enhanced care is we're moving into a world where we're going to see substantial reductions in premiums. I think we have to look carefully at the projections and look and really question whether or not the numbers going forward are somehow all of a sudden more accurate. 
Chris, the government also trying to make it more fair for people who use streaming services. So right now, British Columbians pay PST on their cable package, as well as streaming services like Crave that have brick and mortar locations here in British Columbia. They don't on Netflix. So that's going to change. There will be PST going forward on Netflix that will cost British Columbians an average of about $13 a year if you use that service. All right. Thank you very much, Richard Zussman, reporting from Victoria. And we'll check in now with Keith Baldry to break down some of the new spending. Keith, what are the priorities for this government going forward? Yeah, it's very evident uh, in, a, in a budget that really has targeted spending. It's not across the board. It's in a very few areas. So I went through it uh, talking to a deputy minister in the lockup. He said he calls this the caseload budget. And by that, he means that the targeted spending here is really about caseloads, uh, such things as the, the health care budget, for example. Uh, wait times, wait lists continue to grow, but it's a caseload expansion. $22 billion now is the spending. Uh, the highest ever uh, exceeds $22 billion for the first time ever. Also targeted spending, health Healthcare, social sciences, and education are the one, only ministries that actually receive significant spending increases, uh, which again continues the theme that was first began last year. And that leaves 13 ministry budgets that have been either cut or effectively frozen out of 21. So uh, very little spending increases for most of the way, but big ones in those targeted areas. I put the question to Carol James, the finance minister, about the caseload budget, and she didn't disagree with that uh, description. I think certainly we're seeing more people take advantage of the programs that we put in place. Uh, that's really what caseload is. Caseload means more people are receiving supports for childcare. More people are saving money uh, because of that. More people are accessing uh, health services. In order to do that, again, as I come back to the choices in a budget, you always have to make choices about where the priorities are. We've made sure that those are our priorities. Affordability for families, improving services, and building a sustainable economy. So back to education, Chris, it is getting a significant increase, but it's about uh, dealing with uh, increasing enrollment for the first time in a long time. There's more immigration in B.C. than we've seen in quite some time, and that's uh, beefing up the funding in the schools. But we put the question to Carol James. Even with that, that does not mean that there's going to be more money on the table in contract talks with the B.C. Teachers Federation, which will begin again soon. But uh, more money in education, but no more money on the table for teachers. Yeah, and still some big holes to fill with the teacher shortage in some parts of the province on the North Coast, for instance. Yeah, lots yeah, of work still to do. There's money there for that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Again, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Also, a convoy of trucks and several hundred workers from B.C.'s beleaguered forest industry also rallied outside the legislature today, hoping that they would see some relief in the budget. Their message to the government, forestry feeds my family. The sector has always been a pillar of the provincial economy, but it's been hit hard by government policies, including a shrinking of the annual allowable harvest. Dozens of mills have closed over the past year, and thousands of workers have lost their jobs, relocated, or had their shifts curtailed. I don't see much of a future if things don't change drastically for us in the forest industry and uh, for working force for the families and the kids in the future. What do you want to have happen? I want to see like more forces opened up, like kept going, let us work them, let them keep developing for us. Today's rally comes just after some 3,000 workers from Western Forest Products ratified a deal to end their eight-month-long strike. And some good news to report. Metro Vancouver and the Tsleil-Waututh Nation collaborate, uh, collaborating on a historic deal for Belcara Regional Park, the park northeast of where Burrard Inlet meets Indian Arm, 
was the largest settlement occupied by ancestors of the Tsleil-Waututh Nation. A signing ceremony today formalized the cooperation agreement which recognizes the nation's ancestral and ongoing ties to Belcara and its present use as a Metro Vancouver Regional Park. Both parties plan to work together to protect and enhance Belcara for present and future generations. The recognition that the people here, the Tsleil-Waututh, Hualmok people, have been here since time out of mind. That recognition on your part is really important and means so much. It means so much because we know that this is a step in reconciliation. It's only one step, but it is a step. A French pilot makes a giant leap for human flight later on the news hour. And Russian horse wranglers on thin ice, the all-out rescue to save animals who fell into the freezing water coming up as well. Right now, though, the son of well-known B.C. chocolatier Thomas Haas is on trial in Kingston, Ontario. Taylor Haas is accused of sexually assaulting a woman two years ago. Witnesses testified the woman was intoxicated and Haas had offered to walk her home. As Aaron MacArthur reports, Haas's defense team is attacking the alleged victim's credibility. Four days into a sexual assault trial in Kingston, Ontario, four more people took the stand testifying to events of February 21st, 2018. Taylor Haas, a former Queen's University student who's now living back home in Vancouver, is the son of entrepreneur and well-known chocolatier Thomas Haas. Taylor Haas has pleaded not guilty to the charge. One witness testifying under oath the alleged victim appeared to be noticeably intoxicated on that night. Another person on the stand relayed to the court, Haas offered to walk the alleged victim home, saying that was the last time anyone saw the pair together. When referring to Haas, the witness said, we told him just to drop her off at the house, and we said, don't sleep with her. Under cross-examination, the defense attorney directly questioning a woman's ability to tell whether the alleged victim was able to discern what she was doing that night, saying the witness was, quote, screwing the evidence to fit her own perception, end quote. Crown later asking her if the questions about cognitive awareness made her uncomfortable. Both Taylor and Thomas Haas are in Kingston for the trial. It's set to enter its second week on Wednesday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Closing arguments today in the trial of a young man accused of murdering a Vancouver couple in their own home. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. Ramina Dea reports on what happened today and a warning, some of the details are disturbing. This case is not about who did it. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, now 27, has admitted he killed two strangers. The question is, was it murder, planned and deliberate? If Crown has not proven the requisite for murder, then there could only be a conviction of manslaughter, says defense counsel Glenn Orris. When Cam went on a shopping trip at Canadian Tire and purchased a hatchet, gloves and other items, it could possibly show planning, but there's no evidence showing any deliberation, Orris concluded. Cam had been consumed by violent video games for much of his life. Defense says Cam thought he was in a video game. 
when he slashed Richard Jones more than 100 times and cut the throat of Diana Ma Jones in the couple's home in September 2017. The accused ate a peach and drank some milk before he fled. The fact of the matter is, Rocky, you can see that the evidence is overwhelming. It is overwhelming that you plan this. During the trial, Dr. Edward Shen, a clinical psychologist, testified perhaps Cam was operating in a game consciousness. But at least say you're sorry. For what? For what? You're an animal. Cam's not unable. He's unwilling to reveal a motive, says Crown Counsel Daniel Mulligan, adding Cam had a deliberate plan to inflict pain and kill at least one person. Mr. Cam is not a credible witness. He's a demonstrated liar, says Mulligan, adding that he's not suffering from a video gaming disorder. Mr. Cam never testified he thought he was in a game during the killings. Crown told the court the crimes were premeditated. Cam bought the weapons he hid before both attacks and deliberately dumped evidence. Crown says Dr. Shen's opinions should be given little weight because of the inconsistencies in Cam's evidence. Crown is expected to finish its closing arguments Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News. Nine dogs have been killed in an early morning fire at an unlicensed animal shelter in Langley. The flames broke out in a mobile home along 40th Avenue near 216th Street just before 4 a.m. The home was being used as a dog rescue facility and all of the animals that died were inside kennels or cages. A woman who tried to rescue the dogs suffered smoke inhalation. The cause of the fire hasn't been confirmed, but early indications are that a space heater may have been involved. The BCSPCA is investigating. There was a lineup of at least uh, 10, 15 uh, emergency vehicles, uh, including fire trucks, police, ambulance. Well, we know from the past they have had dogs and we've always heard them. And we've heard stories about it, but uh, that's all we know. And a bit of a dog fight is brewing in Surrey over a memorial that's at risk of being removed. The etched stone has been there for more than 10 years, memorializing a lost pet, but it is in violation of a bylaw. As Catherine Urquhart reports, those who loved Jack the dog and its late owner feel it should stay where it is. At Tinehead Park in Surrey, it's a dog's life. The off-leash park draws dozens of pet lovers and their furry friends every day. But now it's at the center of a bit of a dog fight, and it's all about a stone. I don't think it should be moved. More than a decade ago, this engraved stone was placed in the park in memoriam of Jack the Dog, a regular at the park, along with his owner, John. That is, until a coyote chased Jack into oncoming traffic. John wouldn't come down for about a week. And uh, when we finally talked him into coming down, right. the stone was placed, and he stood in the rain because it was pouring rain, just crying. Oh, he was, was so touched. Then, more recently, John died. Unfortunately, John developed cancer, and he has now passed away. Yeah. But now Metro Vancouver has served notice they'll be removing the discreetly placed stone. There weren't any complaints about it. It's just that the stone wasn't authorized. 
In this case, our staff have done a really good job of uh, posting a notice as we do on a routine basis when we find things in the park system that have not been placed with approval uh, to try and identify who the owner is. They're now encouraging friends of the pair to consider other options, like purchasing a memorial bench. The starting price? $625. I think it's a little ridiculous. Uh, we come here all the time. We never even noticed it. Uh, I don't think it's doing any harm. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. As strata insurance rates skyrocket, BC Realtors are proposing new rules to help ensure everyone is protected. The British Columbia Real Estate Association has now included a clause in their real estate contracts to ask for proof of insurance. The association is asking the provincial government to take that one step further and require proof of insurance on the Strata Information Certificate, better known as the Form B. That would ensure all potential buyers know the terms, the premiums and deductibles that they'll be paying before they make a purchase. We're hearing from realtors who say that this lack of certainty is interrupting a lot of potential sales because people don't have the information they know to confidently move ahead with a purchase. Many of BC's 30,000 stratas are facing staggering cost increases for insurance coverage, with rates in some cases jumping by over 300%. The Government of Canada is making it a bit easier to get into the housing market. Finance Minister Bill Morneau today announcing changes to the mortgage stress test. The test takes some speculation out of the market by ensuring borrowers can actually afford their payments if interest rates increase. The government says the change will make the test rate more representative of the mortgage rates offered by lenders and more responsive to market conditions. The new benchmark rate will be the weekly median five-year fixed rate plus 2%. It'll take effect April 6th. A group of farmers in Russia's southern Ural region struggled to save 11 horses that fell through the ice on a frozen river. The men used ropes and a tractor to drag the desperate animals out one by one. Amazingly, all of the horses were saved without injury. This year's relatively warm winter has caused the ice to be unstable in many of Russia's normally frigid regions. At least one more Canadian cruise ship passenger in Japan has tested positive for COVID-19. Of the 3,700 people on board the Diamond Princess when the quarantine started, 542 have now tested positive. 43 of them are Canadian. The federal government says a repatriation flight is expected to take healthy Canadians home on Thursday. They'll be quarantined for a further 14 days. Those who are sick will remain in Japan until they're better. The two-week quarantine on the ship is due to end tomorrow. NASCAR driver Ryan Newman is awake and speaking to his family and doctors after being seriously injured in a crash at the Daytona 500 race Monday night. He was just seconds from the finish line and in the lead when he was hit by two other drivers going more than 300 kilometers an hour. The outside. At the height of NASCAR's biggest race, the Daytona 500. Crash into the wall, into the air. Horror unfolding at the end of the final lap. Number six, Ryan Newman. Derailed by a bump and then smashed by another driver midair. The biggest race in NASCAR had just finished. And all of a sudden it just went from, you know, everybody's excited to like, you know, solemn. NASCAR later revealing Newman sustained non-life-threatening injuries, 
And tonight, Newman's racing team, Roush Fenway, tweeting Ryan is awake and speaking with family and doctors. The race's winner, Denny Hamlin, writing, Foremost, I want to give well wishes and prayers to the driver they call Rocket Man. Former race car driver Kyle Petty is a NASCAR on NBC analyst. I slept very little last night, worried about Ryan and his family. And I know it, the saying is that time heals all wounds. Uh, I realized yesterday this is a wound that will never heal. Kyle Petty lost his son Adam in a 2000 crash, but he's encouraged by new NASCAR safety measures in the decades since. We know the drivers today are in a much safer environment. Some fans remembering this day 19 years ago when legendary driver Dale Earnhardt died on this same track. Do you think about Dale Earnhardt when this happened? I was here on that race. I knew that the game was going to change, and that race made a huge difference in how this sport is raced today. A Washington State woman arrested on Friday and charged with trying to kidnap a three-week-old baby has pleaded not guilty. Juliet Parker and her 16-year-old daughter are accused of posing as photographers and then attempting to abduct the infant by drugging its mother with a cupcake. Since her arrest, more than 10 other people have come forward to say Parker also came to their homes offering free child photo shoots. The Tacoma woman has had her bail increased to $150,000. In Health Matters tonight, a new study is sounding a warning on the link between household cleaning products and childhood asthma. Researchers say products like air fresheners and scented cleaners can be very harmful to infants. Their message to parents the smell of a healthy home is no smell at all. Linda Aylesworth explains. Most of us use cleaning products, but have no idea what's in them. That is not telling you anything. Corrosion about. inhibitor. Ever wonder what those chemicals can do to your health? Or worse yet, to your children's health? This specific study looked at early life exposure to common household cleaning products, more specifically the frequency in which they're used. The Simon Fraser University researchers wanted to see what role cleaners and air fresheners might play in the development of asthma. We're looking at uh, exposures at three months of age and whether those exposures early in life when your immune system is being tuned cause later asthma allergy. They used data collected from the child cohort study, which looked at over 2,000 families and their exposure to 26 types of products. Their findings? If you're using products more frequently in your home when you have a child around, you're potentially increasing their risk of asthma by up to 37%. The chemicals cause your immune system to behave inappropriately and you're more susceptible uh, to these other uh, irritants or allergens. The worst culprits? Products that are sprayed. Not only is it getting on surfaces where children are touching and they touch their hands, but you're putting it in the air, so you're immediately breathing it in. Cleaning products also kill good bacteria, the kinds that help children develop healthy gut microbiomes. So what can you do to reduce the risk? Rinsing a surface afterwards, not using the sprayed products, not using products that are really unnecessary. Like the smell of a healthy home is no smell at all. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. After a series of frightening hacks, one of the world's leading home security camera companies is upgrading its system. We'll tell you how right after the forecast 
with Christy Gordon, who joins us now. And yeah, beautiful sunshine today. Love that blue sky. Yes, a bluebird day all across the province, really, Chris. This one from Mission. Thank you to Lexi Fontaine for that one. And look at this one from Pitt Meadows. Thank you to Brian Stevens for that stunning shot. And one last one for you from Comox uh, Valley. Thank you to Carmen. And it, it's on days like this, I start to think about what about spring? How far away are we? The crocuses are starting to come out. Here's a little detail for you. Tonight's sunset was at 5.36 p.m. There's a lot on the here, but the key that I want to point out is that in one week time, we will have a sunset at 5.46, two weeks' time, 6.01, and then we do a big jump just in three weeks' time. Sunset will happen at 7.12, and it'll make the days feel so much longer, and things will start to warm up because of that. Spring officially begins on March 19th in four weeks, so uh, lots to look forward to, that's for sure, everyone. Now, tonight, though, conditions will cool off. When we have clear skies, we tend to drop down in temperature. That cloud cover is an insulating layer, so when we don't have that, we tend to see uh, temperatures plummet and in addition to that we'll see a bit of wind so wind chills up through the bc peace river area minus 18 minus 17 in prince george and in the okanagan valley minus 10 to minus 12 but we'll also see a bit of wind chill in through metro vancouver some areas may feel closer to minus 5 tomorrow morning and those of you in the fraser valley minus 7 here are your daytime highs though with that sunshine you may see a little bit of fog by the way but that should clear up pretty quickly and you'll be left with sunshine so highs of five degrees and through kamloops Kelowna, four degrees, and for our region, eight. So right near seasonal for this time of year. Dry conditions expected right through until Friday evening when the next wave of rain pushes in. But that's a pretty nice stretch of weather, that's for sure. And I will leave you with our uh, Centra windows weather window from North Vancouver. And this using a look back at 2010. Thank you to Susie Q67 for that. A sea of red as the torch uh, was going through the area. A lot of joy captured in that photo for mm -hmm. sure. All right, thanks very much, Christy. There's important news tonight for the millions of people with Ring Home security cameras. After a series of alarming hacker intrusions, today the company announced new protection. I'm your best friend. It was an unforgettable intrusion. I'm Santa Claus. A chilling voice terrorizing an eight-year-old through a home security camera. It was, you know, from a horror film. And, I mean, I just thought this couldn't be real. What you watching? But it was real for families across the country. What's going on, buddy? Tonight, the Amazon company Ring announcing sweeping security changes to prevent hackers from taking over cameras and spying on families like the Amadors. I did hear from the other room someone shouting, pay 50 Bitcoin or you'll be terminated. Now, starting today, Ring is now rolling out two-factor authentication, which means that if you want to log into your account, You'll need your password and a special code that is sent to your phone or your email and is constantly changing. They should have had this kind of security out of the box so users were not open to this kind of attack. Ring also announcing users can now opt out of sharing their information to third parties, which includes advertisers, saying in a statement, delivering you privacy, security, and control are foundational to achieving our mission. And the company letting users know if Ring is working in partnership with law enforcement in their area, allowing for the ability to opt out of sharing video with police. Now the security giant hoping to win back trust among consumers looking to protect themselves from strangers invading their homes. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Los Angeles. So creepy. You know, is fixed. every day, the three of us and Sophie and all the other ones who work here sit in front of cameras. 
Right. These are the only cameras I want to have near me. Right. <laughs> I don't want to have right. one in my kitchen or one somewhere else so some guy can get you in on it. You would be amazed, though, Squire, at the number of cameras that are pointing at you and you don't even know yeah, it. Yeah, you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. As long right. as I have my makeup on and my hair is okay, <laughs> I'm all good. In good shape. All right. All right. Let's, yeah, let's see if the Canucks can get uh, some good calories from the Toffoli <laughs> dessert. Um, the moment the Canucks traded for Tyler Toffoli, you kind of knew that Brock Besser's injury was worse than first mentioned. It went from he's going to miss two games to he's likely going to miss the rest of the regular season, like Furland and Levo, who are also done. Which means Brock Besser has yet to play a full season with the Canucks. He has had injury issues every year. But I wonder if he wasn't hurt before he left that game against Calgary 10 days ago with a rib problem because he hadn't scored in 11 straight games before getting hurt. And the hit where he got hurt doesn't look that bad. Here it is again when he got tangled up with Andrew Mangiapane. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play a doctor on TV. But that doesn't look like the type of contact that would have you on the sidelines for at least eight weeks. Whatever the case, Besser is out for the foreseeable future. And that means the part of Brock Besser is now being played by Tyler Toffoli. I'm not sure the Canucks can resign Toffoli after this season. He will become a free agent, but right now he is Besser's replacement. He was leading the LA Kings in goals. He actually had two more than Besser at this point, 18 to 16. So the Canucks hope he will immediately fit in. Tyler Toffoli was eating a salad in Winnipeg on Monday night when he got the news he was heading to the Vancouver Canucks. Now that he's here, his appetite is all about playoff hockey, something that definitely wasn't going to happen as a member of the LA Kings. That definitely makes makes me a lot more excited. Um, obviously, the past few, few years have been kind of frustrating for the Kings, and um, they're doing what they're doing now. So um, to be here and uh, in the race, don't want to take it for granted. Like um, maybe a little bit like before, kind of thinking that you're always going to be um, in the playoffs and have a chance. So um, you know, time kind of flies, and I'm here now, and I want to I want to help this team win. Face off, controlled by the Kings, shot by Defoe, was blocked, and now they score. The Canucks paid a hefty price bringing in Toffoli on a rental basis. The 27-year-old impending unrestricted free agent is earning $4.6 million in the final year of his contract. But it's a deal that Jim Benning had to make. The shocking news that Brock Besser is done for the regular season. There was no way the Canucks GM was going to go the rest of the way without bolstering his top six. And Toffoli, now playing the role of Brock Besser on Vancouver's top line with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson, fit the bill. That's why we made this move we made last night is we, you know, we want to, you know, finish off strong. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's been good for our young players to see, you know, as you know, as you come down the stretch, how hard the games are and then the playoffs are even harder. And I think, you know, for to get our young players to the next step, they need to experience, you know, playing meaningful, meaningful games now and, and hopefully making the playoffs and playing playoff games. And that's going to be part of their development, you know, to, to becoming, you know, a, a real good team and a competitive team over the next five or six years. I think there's a lot to like about him. Um, he's played, I think, over 500 games in the NHL. He's, he's won in the NHL. He, he understands how hard it is to score, uh, to win, to win a puck battle certain times of the year. A lot of things that we talk about. Uh, they're just a really good team. They play fast. They uh, they got a lot of skill. They're exciting, and they got some 
um, some young talent that are really pushing towards being elite players in the league, and um, it's exciting to be a part of. Okay, because the Canucks are so close to the top of the salary cap limit, if they were to make any other moves before the trading deadline next Monday, it would have to be player for player with similar salaries. The Canucks cannot bring in a guy now and give up prospects unless they do some very creative accounting, which is what Jim Benning and his crew are going to have to do in the summer because they have a lot of players going to free agency. This roster you see now, it's not going to come back exactly the same way next year. It can't. One of the guys they have to make a decision on, of course, is Jacob Markstrom. Benning said today they will not negotiate with Markstrom until after the season. Sidney Crosby and the Penguins love playing at home. And they have the Leafs in town, and Crosby puts on a show. Nice pass to Brian Rust here. Rust goes up top on Freddie Anderson. That makes it one nothing. Here's the first ever NHL goal for Anthony Angelo. Little deflection. That made it 2 nothing. Here's how the Leafs' night went. They just missed scoring on a 5-on-3, and Freddie Anderson gives the puck away. It eventually ends up after some passing in the back of Toronto's net. Teddy Bluger with the goal, 5-2 the final for Pittsburgh. Most of the players in Major League Baseball are openly angry at the cheating the Houston Astros did, cheating that helped them win a World Series. They're also angry that the players on the Astros did not get punished, and they get to keep their championship. Here are just two examples of the anger, starting with Atlanta's Nick Markakis. To see something like that, it's, it's, it's damaging to baseball. Um, you know, it, it's anger. Uh, I feel like every single guy over there needs a beating. Um, you know, it's, it's wrong. They're, they're messing with people's careers. When it comes down to a player-driven scheme, you know, I feel like the players involved, you know, need to be, you know, punished. And... Um, you know, like if I go out there and, you know, I cheat the game, I'm like if I think I think Darvish was the one that said, you know, if you're, you know, if you're playing in the Olympics and you win a gold medal and you come find out you cheated, you don't, you don't get to keep that medal. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I know what you're saying. Atletico Madrid, Liverpool, the only goal today, first of two, round of 16, Champions League, Sal Nagiz. And that made it one nothing. so there is a way to beat Liverpool. Atletico just figured it out, but round two or the second leg will be back in Liverpool in March. There you go. Uh, okay, we'll end it with uh, a man they call the real-life Iron Man, and uh, now he's doing something different. The high-flying daredevil known as Jetman is soaring to new heights in a milestone flight over Dubai that you have to see to believe. It's daybreak in Dubai as Vince Ruffay and his team prepare for their latest groundbreaking flight. Strapped to carbon fiber wings powered by four mini jet engines, the French pilot is aiming to be the first to take off from the ground straight up into the air. Starting from a hover over the water, he turns and blasts off. Climbing high above Dubai's iconic coastline to nearly 6,000 feet, reaching speeds of 150 miles an hour. After about three minutes and a few scenic loops, Rafay pulls his parachute, successfully coasting down to his excited team below. It's a big step for us because it's, uh, it's the first time that we are completely autonomous, you know, where uh, we take off from the ground. Rafay made more than 50 test flights learning to control the jet engines. The historic launch was one of the highlights of Dubai's 2020 Expo. It was a very proud moment for us. 
The Jetman team has been pushing the limits for seven years now, with staggering flights like this one last year in China's Tianmen Mountain National Park. In the past, pilots always took off by leaping from a moving helicopter or an elevated platform. They say this daring performance brings them even closer to human flight. Riley Carlson, CBS News, London. It just looks weird, it, but it's amazing. I mean, it's cool, but it still seems to me like a bad idea. <laughs> That's right. No. Someone says, hey, I want to put jetpacks on your back. What do you think of that idea? I don't. I think it's <laughs> I, bad. <laughs> I really think it would be so cool. Me too. Terrifying, but cool. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go. Sure, pretty nice stretch of weather, that's for sure. So keep those sunglasses handy, both Wednesday and Thursday, really. Friday, we'll start to see a little bit more cloud, and the next chance of rain really is not until Friday evening. So a long ways away, as far as I'm concerned. And I'll work on that weekend forecast for you, I promise. like the graphic tonight about how much light we're getting. Mm -hmm. Three minutes, is it three minutes a day? Three and a half minutes a day of daylight. So uh, we're getting there, everyone. The days are getting longer. We are. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.